for words and music that sing God's praises, the people say, Amen. Amen. That was Kathleen Murphy, who gave the Minute for Mission, who was part of a group of uh, a number of folks from Second who went to Guatemala to visit our partners there as a part of a Presbytery mission trip. Thank you, Kathleen. Last Saturday afternoon, Ginger and I took our regular walk through our neighborhood. You might remember last Saturday. Many of us gathered here in this sanctuary last Saturday morning to give thanks for the life of Linda Hare. That was my primary focus for the day. But Saturday, you recall, was also the day that our city and especially the neighborhood around Monument Avenue flowed with excessive anxiety and tensions and uncertainty. By dawn of last Saturday, extensive barricades were erected around the Lee Monument. Hundreds of police officers from the city and the state police and the Capitol Police and others had been posted there to prevent the kind of violence and death that happened in Charlottesville. Last Saturday, our city and especially that neighborhood were poised in trepidation. What might happen when a small group known as the New Confederate States of America showed up and who were then confronted by others seeking to drown out their protest? By the time that Ginger and I took our regular walk through the area, we had learned the good news. Um, Tensions fell far short of what could have happened. And by the time of our walk, we knew that, thanks be to God, violence and Real unrest had been avoided. So we took our walk, and what we encountered were exhausted police officers who had been there all day, and they were putting together their belongings and beginning to head home. What we encountered encountered was an eerily quiet street with a few city workers moving trucks and taking down barricades. And what we sensed in that moment was the loud sigh of relief, but also fatigue. In that strangely quiet street, in these post-demonstration moments, I thought to myself, what must God be thinking? We seem surrounded by so much enmity, in these days, and it's not just the racial tensions and monuments. We've seen record numbers of killings in certain neighborhoods of our city. It's on the front page of today's Richmond Times Dispatch once again. We have increasing tensions with North Korea. We have pervasive worries about more terrorist attacks. We are surrounded by so much enmity which the dictionary defines as mutual hatred, animosity, rancor, antagonism. What does God think about all this? What does God intend for us? You may recall the name of Louis Pasteur. Louis Pasteur was a brilliant French microbiologist, and Pasteur once conducted a classroom experiment to demonstrate how animals adapt to dangerous conditions. 
He placed a bird in a closed container for six hours. The bird obviously grew sluggish and inactive as the air quality diminished, but the bird did not die. And in the experiment, Pasteur introduced another bird of the same size and the same species into the polluted container, and immediately that second bird died. The sudden immersion into toxic air was a shock it could not handle, but the first bird continued to live in the toxic space. Pasteur's experiment reminds us how adaptable we are to dangerous conditions, how adaptable we are even to toxicity and other dangerous circumstances, including enmity. Our biblical texts for today intend to guide us in dealing with enmity. Our word for today is siblings. We're all siblings. Before we get to the story, I want to remind us what's in Genesis, especially Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, you recall, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis 1 and 2 are all about God, the creator of the whole world, bringing everything into being. This report, this witness in Genesis 1 is not a scientific explanation about how the world began. This Word wants to affirm who created the world. God is the author of life. God is the ground of all being. Genesis 1 and 2 also tell about how God created man and woman, made them in God's image. That's what it says, breathe life into their nostrils. And then Genesis 3 is about Adam and Eve in the garden and what happened there. God surrounded them with lush greenery, Trees, gardens, and God said, the land is for you to keep and to till. And then God gave them instructions, eat and live, but do not eat from this one tree of knowledge in the, begin- in the middle of the garden. You know how the story goes. Instead of obeying God, they did what they wanted, and God comes and finds them and calls them out. And from then on, according to Genesis 3, because of their disobedience, life for Adam and Eve would be very different. The man will have to work hard for a living. He'll have to sweat and struggle. And the woman will have pain in childbirth. And then we get to Genesis 4. Okay? Listen. Now the man knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought of the firstlings of his flock their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. 
Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother, let's go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what, you have, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. And then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. So the first story of life outside the Garden of Eden presents us with the very best of human nature and then almost immediately the very worst of human nature. Two boys are born, Cain and Abel, likely twins, And then the next verse has them actually as adults. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain is a tiller of the land. And in the very next verse, it says, In the course of time, each son of Adam and Eve bring an offering to God. There's no mention of prayers. There's no mention of a ritual. There's no mention of an altar. There's nothing specific about it. Here's what happened. The original farmer... And the original herdsmen simply intend to thank God. They have been blessed. They know they've been blessed. The success of their work, they can feel it. They intend to thank the Lord for blessing them. This is a beautiful depiction of the very best in human nature. Recognizing that all of life comes from God recognizing that all of life is lived before God and giving sincere gratitude to God, the most mature emotion that we could possibly muster, gratitude to God shaping everything, they perform an act of worship. This act reminds us that life is always bigger than our lives, bigger than our accomplishments, bigger than anything about us. Life comes from God. And life proceeds to God. And our lives are to maintain a proper posture of worship and thanksgiving for all things always. Cain and Abel did that. The first thing is mentioned about their lives. And then it says, The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. He's a herder. He offered a lamb. Apparently, God likes barbecue. (laughs) Arthur Miller is the great playwright. In 1972, he produced a play called The Creation of the World and Other Business. 
And in Act 3 of that play, and picking up on this story from Genesis 4, there is this interchange. God. Young man, this is undoubtedly the sweetest, most delicious, most delicate, most profoundly satisfying piece of meat I've ever tasted since the world began. And Adam, proud father, says, boy, to Abram, this is our proudest moment. And Cain says, Lord, there's still my corn. Uh, you've, there's still my corn here, Lord. You, you, you haven't tasted my corn. And God says, oh, I can see it. I think it's very good. You've done quite well, Cain. Keep at it. And then God walks off with Abel and Adam and Eve appears and she's worried about her oldest son Cain and she says darling um, he loved your vegetables he, he did he he loved your vegetables trying to encourage Cain we have no idea why it says the Lord favored Abel's offering maybe it was barbecue who knows but we have no idea that is not the point The point is, what do we do with what happens to us? Life is often unfair. Life life often isn't what we expect. And what what do we do with that? Are we bitter? Or are we better? Does jealousy shape us most of the time because of what happens to us? Or joyous gratitude? Genesis is always trying to teach us these things. What do we do with what happens to us is always the key question, and that is a major point of this story. And Cain didn't handle it very well. It says Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And then shortly, very shortly, Cain turns to his brother and invites him to go out into the field. And then when they're in the field, Cain kills his brother. Just like that. Within a few verses on this side of Eden, we see the very best of human nature. People offering to God in gratitude for the blessings of life. Offering. Offering to God. And then we see the very worst of human nature, enmity. But worse than enmity, it's murder. Cain killed his brother, Abel. God wasted no time in responding to this situation, this atrocity. God says to Cain, where's your brother? Where's your brother Abel? Where is he? And then Cain replies with one of the most famous lines in all of Scripture. I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Contrary to the usual intuition, the correct answer to this rhetorical question by Cain is actually no. Here's why. There are many rhetorical questions in the Hebrew Bible that are asked positively like this one, and almost all of them have a negative answer. Second, And more definitively, when the word to keep is used and the object is to keep a free human being, 
The subject of the verb in Scripture is only and always God, not a human being. Perhaps you recall the great words of Psalm 121. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep watch over your coming and your going. The Lord keeps your life. Only God keeps people. People may keep sheep. People may keep other things, but only God is the keeper of God's people. So Cain is not his brother's keeper. Cain is his brother's brother. And that is the main point, which the Bible is going to keep pressing. Who is your brother or sister, and how do you relate? This matters. The Bible keeps pressing this. When enmity takes center stage and worse, murder, we'll always find ourselves further and further from the kingdom of God. Our constant calling through Scripture is this. Siblings care for each other. And you know what? We're all siblings. Siblings care for each other. It's not about blood. It's not about family. It's about living with God in the world toward God's coming reign. Love one another over and over again. We're all siblings. This is why Jesus speaks so strongly and consistently about this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you do good only to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. Siblings. We're all siblings. In other places in the New Testament, it says, picking up on this story of Cain and Abel, all who hate a brother or sister are murderers. And you know what? And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. On the other hand, where reconciliation has taken place and love replaces hate and anger, we know, quote, we know in 1 John, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. This means that the ultimate issues of life and resurrection are inexplicably linked to the way we get along with our brothers and sisters near and far. Here's how Walter Brueggemann puts it. The issue of the brother is the ultimate theological crisis. The gospel is uncompromising. The brother uh, is how we find eternal life. The promises of God, of hope, of all things are linked to the brother or sister and how we treat them. There's no other way. It is so clear and it's so hard. We're called to love. Siblings. We're all siblings. Most days we seem to choose death because we allow all kinds of enmity, enmity to grow and divide us. And sometimes it's personal issues and sometimes it's political issues and lately it's been racial issues and it's all about enmity and we have a sad history of it. The story of Cain and Abel just illustrates how quickly it evolves. But the message of these texts is that it's always about siblings. 
and we're all siblings. Bishop Desmond Tutu puts it quite clearly. My humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. Albert Schweitzer says it this way when he received his Nobel Peace Prize. You don't live in the world alone. Your brothers are here too. And certainly you recall the words of Martin Luther King in 1963 in the March on Washington from the Lincoln Memorial. I have a dream that one day in the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slaves owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood, sisterhood, siblings. This past week, I was invited to a meeting sponsored by Hope in the Cities. Hope in the Cities has just gotten a major grant from the Kellogg Foundation for Richmond to work on truth and racial healing and transformation. There were about 15 people sitting at the table, most of whom I did not know. I was the only white person sitting at the table. It's overwhelming and humbling and honorable to be sitting there. I don't know where it's going to lead But there are plans reminding us that we have a lot of work to do in Richmond on these issues. Racial healing, transformation, brotherhood, sisterhood, siblings. It's all about living toward what God intends. Away from enmity. Life with God demands that we have life with one another. Loving hoping, serving together. When enmity prevails, we're either all dragged down together and far away from what God intends or we help each other up. Beyond jealousy, beyond rancor, we lift each other up through working together and building community and increasing conversations and working for justice and peace. The Bible and Jesus keep saying this over and over and over. There's one more important point about this story. Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother. It leads him to be sentenced by God. He's sentenced is to be a wanderer. He's expelled from the farm. To be a wanderer, to be a refugee, is dangerous. He knows it. It's always dangerous. Cain even complains about the sentence. He says to God, This is too harsh. Anyone who sees me can kill me. But here is where grace appears. God puts the mark on Cain. It's a mark of guilt. But it's also a mark of protection. It will ward off anyone who will take vengeance on Cain, God promises. We're not sure what the sign was, but it was a mark of mercy. It was God's way of saying, the murder of your brother is absolutely disgusting and inappropriate. But nevertheless, you are my child, Cain, and nothing will separate you from my love. I'll protect you, he's saying in that mark. I will watch over you. Cain went away to the land of Nod to wander. But guess how God's people continue to emerge? It's only through Cain, because Abel is dead. God is always at work. 
despite our worst efforts, despite our deepest failings at living at God's ways, God's creative purposes continue. And in the very next verse in Genesis, it starts talking about how God is using Cain to bring about God's purposes in the world. Even Cain. We have a serious and absolute calling to treat everyone as our sibling. And we also have a wonderful God who, despite our enmity, will never, ever let us go. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to serve you with love, with devotion. That's to abide forever. We seek that way following Jesus. Amen.